Thank you for listening to this episode of the Young Baptist Podcast. My name is Josh Johnson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Clay Maynard. We're two guys committed to the centrality of the gospel, and we want to see all of our brothers and sisters be captivated over again by the beauty and glory of Christ and the centrality of the gospel. What's going on, Clay? How are you doing this morning? I'm great, Josh. We just got out of our men's prayer breakfast. First one in two years. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a great time. Enjoyed uh, getting together with the men of our church, praying together, doing, uh, doing a little devotional. Josh, you had a great devotional for us about, um, that God in his divine, his divine power has given us a divine nature that should enable us to add to our faith. Yep. Well, I appreciate Um, you saying that. It was phenomenal out of second Peter chapter one. I'm excited about next month's men's breakfast, not necessarily for the breakfast, but for the ax throwing we're going to do afterwards. (laughs) That's going to be fun. Yeah. I've never actually been uh, ax throwing. I haven't either. It seems most of our guys have not been. So that should be fun. Yeah, it'll we'll, be a good time. We'll all be terrible at it together. Yes. Well, from what I understand, <laughs> like when you get there, you go through a small class and they, they, Paul, they Paul teach Bunyan you, how, you to how to do axe throwing. <laughs> Paul Bunyan's there at the entrance to I think so. And I tips. think they give out like flannel shirts and you get like a package of cedar dust. You get to like rub in your beard and stuff. <laughs> but what you been listening to these days? Music? Podcast sermons, what? Well, let's just do all of it. Uh, well, my music lately, most of the music I listen to, I feel like, uh, is based around finding music for our church. Right. So if you're a worship pastor out there or music minister or whatever you call yourself, um, you know that you listen often um, searching for material. Uh, I've really become a big fan of stuff that's very applicable to our church environment. So I find myself listening a lot to, to groups and musicians that give me a lot of material. Uh, I would say near the top of that list are Sovereign Grace Music, mm. Shane and Shane. There's one more at least. City of Light, maybe. City of Light. The Gettys put out a lot of stuff that's yeah. really applicable for our church. Uh, matter of fact, we were just working on a choir piece that we got from the Gettys. Um, so yeah, so we I've listened to a lot of them um, lately. So that's that's probably who I've been doing. The 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 new Shane and Shane album is oh, yeah. incredible. I was so about I've to been, say I've been jamming out to that album. <laughs> the Psalms, Hymns, and Spiritual Songs album. That Fantastic. They just put out. And you want to know something encouraging about that? What's that? At the end of the title, it says Volume One. I love that. So there's more coming. Yep. No, I you Josh, you posted something about uh about Psalm eight. Yes. How majestic is your That's name? That's my favorite song on the album. And I had heard that song already at the time. And I had I had kind of settled on Psalm 84 as my favorite one, uh, subtitled I'm Home. And after you said that, I went back and listened to Psalm 8 again. I was like, and it, it like, I was like, oof, ooh, I don't know. That one's really good too. It, it's, it's a so, great song. So they, they put out really great stuff. And, and like I said, I love that their, that their music is so applicable to a local church's worship setting. I, we don't do, um, we're not super band led. Our, our, our musicians are, it's mainly an acoustic setup. Mm -hmm. Um, and we just have a couple vocalists and, you know, on each week. So, but we've had a really good time adapting a lot of their stuff. So I I love seeing their stuff. What about you? What are you listening to Josh? That album? Uh, I have recently been enjoying the song mercy that elevation came out with. Yeah. Them in Maverick city, right? Yeah. Back in like April or something like that. Yes. Um, and then I'm always listening to, Matt Boswell and Matt Papa's album they did a couple years ago. That just so many wonderful hymns on there. I like uh, also on that album, Gyra. You yeah, know, it's these those songs are kind of long, but but some of those particular choruses throughout it. If you've not heard Gyra, which obviously is from the the biblical word, which means um, provider, God provides, uh, the God who provides, Jehovah Jireh. Yeah, I like the first two and a half to three minutes of that song. I think the first four or five minutes is good. And then after that, it's a little repetitive, but yeah. it, some people really like that stuff. You know, they like that repetition and, and whatever. It actually does make it easy for kids to sing along. Having kids, I've noticed that when songs are a little more repetitive, it helps them. They get into that rhythm and they enjoy it. If you've not listened to a song called I'm So Blessed by Kane. I don't know that I've even heard that song. Oh, it's so good. I'll have to send it to you. I'm, I'm So, so blessed, blessed by Kane. Turn Your Eyes. If you've not heard Turn Your Eyes by Sovereign Grace Music, we've incorporated this into our services. Man, I love that song. They they basically have taken the verses from Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, the old hymn. They wrote an additional chorus to it, and they treated 
the course of Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, like a verse, and then wrote additional verses. It is phenomenal. I highly recommend look up look up that song. Turn Your Eyes by Sovereign Grace Music um, has been a fun one for me. I've been listening to that a lot lately. Podcast wise, I've been listening to my regulars, you know, like the RFP, uh, 26 Letters. I've been really, and this may be controversial for some, I've been really getting into the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Me too. That podcast sucks you in so fast. Yeah, that's storytelling at a very high level. They're doing a great job on that podcast. That's, yep. that's a really intriguing podcast. If you listen to that podcast and you don't think that, that that has lessons for every leader, for every church. Oh, yeah. Um, it really digs into how spiritual environments can be so complex and how churches can do great things and yet cause problems and damage at the same time. Mm-hmm. Josh, the, the, for me so far, the biggest takeaway by far of listening to that has been, do not think for one second that because God is using you to do something good, that that is a reflection of how close you are to Jesus yeah. or how faithful you're being in your personal life. You can be doing all, like God can use anyone. And that's both encouraging because it means God can use us. Yeah. But it also is a, is a warning to not use ministry results or something God's maybe using you to do in somebody else's life as some sort of whitewash for your personal character, mm-hmm. or for your spiritual, your level of spirituality. It's a, it's a really good podcast. Yeah, it's excellent. Also been listening to my buddy Derek's newest podcast, Reminder, Reminders of Grace. It's been really good. And then I just picked up, and some of you are probably going to be embarrassed that I'm just now listening to them, but a couple of days ago, I started listening to uh, Doctrine and Devotion, okay. and I've, I've enjoyed the episode. I've listened to them so far. They're a lot, uh, they're a lot more like super conversational, really laid back guys, but their content's really solid, and I've enjoyed it. What about you? What podcast are you listening to? Yeah, I've also been listening to The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Of course, our buddies at the River Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. I don't miss any of their episodes. Love those guys. I listen to Leading in the Gospel by Kerry Schmidt. That's one of my favorite podcasts. Yep. Enjoy listening to him. Uh, the Brian Sams podcast always has good stuff. And we, we had him on as a guest. Uh, if you've not listened to his podcast, uh, he's got some solid content on there. Um, I like once every couple of weeks listen to the Hermeneutics podcast. Yeah, I've fallen off the wagon on that one. I've just been really bad. Which, I'm sorry, Nate. Which I'm very behind on them because I, I don't listen to them as much as I'd like to. But his are actually typically a little shorter. So like they're not hard to listen to. And it'll teach you how to study. If you're interested in studying your Bible. Yeah, it's, a, a, it's a good podcast. It's a strong podcast for that. And then I like, uh, I like the For the Church podcast uh, with Jared Wilson. Uh, his stuff is good. Well, Josh, we're starting a new chapter of our podcast. Indeed we are. Uh, we had a lot of fun last week with the Q&A. Oh, yeah. You guys like, came for us. Y'all, to be honest, if it keeps going the way it is, that's going to be the best performing episode we've done. Yeah, it's gotten shared a lot. In fact, up until this point, to give you guys a little peek behind the curtain, right? Carrie Schmidt's episode, the interview with Carrie Schmidt that we did right out the gate, has been our top performer. It gets listened to literally every single day. Am I exaggerating? No. At this point, our Q&A episode is outperforming Schmidt's episode by a long shot. It yeah. is flying. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Up the number of downloads quickly. But yeah, that was a fun episode to record. Yeah, and you guys really brought some solid questions. They weren't softballs. We had some stuff. We had to go back to the scripture, which is, which is awesome. That was fun. Like We had to go back and say, hey, because you guys came and you were bringing stuff like, hey, I know you said this. What do you think about this scripture? How do you handle this? And it was it made it a lot of fun. I really enjoyed your questions and enjoyed studying for them, enjoyed responding to them and seeing the uh, the interaction. Some of you have reached out to me again and and we've continued that conversation. Uh, so thanks guys, thanks so much for that. But we're excited to be starting sort of a new yeah. chapter. We've taken note of some of the things that you've said. We've also taken note of the fact that you really like to have a say in what we talk about on the episode. So we will probably do another one of those again. But uh I really think that that episode has kind of given us a good direction of where we're headed now. Absolutely. And uh, man, I'm excited about 
the next couple of weeks, they're going to be some really good podcasts. It's going to be fun, man. Which brings us to what we're talking about today. That's right. Which is? We're talking today about the fundamentals. You're listening to the Young Baptist Podcast, a show that exists to call believers to committed faithfulness to God's word, to equip Christians by answering the tough questions that need to be asked, and to challenge churches on everything that distracts us from the beauty and glory of Christ. Now, here's your hosts, Clay Maynard and Josh Johnson. All right, Josh, so why are we talking about the fundamentals? Well, Clay, because we place a high priority on tent meetings, sawdust, and the American flag. (laughs) (laughs) But especially the sawdust, from what I understand. Yes, absolutely. You got to keep first things first. (laughs) Yeah, sawdust first. Amen. Let's change it up from the book, The Blood and the Blessed Hope to sawdust, tent meetings, and the American flag. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Why the fundamentals, Clay? Well, because we have to have a baseline, a foundation, a starting point for, I guess we could say, broader evangelicalism and biblical Christianity, like... If we're talking about what we believe, what are the things that we can all across the board point back to and say, this is what defines Orthodox Christianity? Okay. So Orthodox Christianity may be the thing that we could say, this is what's at stake. Yeah. When we talk about the fundamentals, and Josh and I have talked a lot about this po- on this podcast about things you can disagree about. You know, we went through the Baptist distinctives. A lot of those were things that people in Orthodox Christianity disagree about. Yeah, absolutely. Matter of fact... There's whole denominations that hold denominations and some of them hold some of them, but not others or whatever. So we've talked a lot about how it's okay for Christians to disagree and still uh, be followers of Christ. But the fundamentals to point back to what you're saying about why the, the fundamentals are, these are crucial. These are high. These, the stakes for this are, are you an Orthodox Christian? Right. And that's that's a big conversation. That's these are these are things we can't really you can disagree with me on them. But if you do, I don't your I orthodoxy don't you. is in question. Right. I, I may you may not be able to be accepted in our fellowship as a believer. Was that fair to say? I would think so, yeah. I okay. think the fundamentals exist for us as a as almost in a way too to unite us with our brothers and sisters. Uh, that's a great point of view that the point of that a great reason for focusing on what our fundamental is so that in spite of all the differences yes we know where we can say hey we share this common bond yeah we are we are all we all worship and serve christ and it's these basic doctrines it's these basic things we affirm which if we if we think about it where and where they came from that may actually be more accurate to say they exist to unite the brothers and sisters around the globe of different um, denominational traditions under the umbrella of orthodoxy. That's, that's a great way of putting it that that's historically. And if you know the history, which we'll get into a little today, that's absolutely true. So that, that tells us the why that's why we're talking about the fundamentals. And you actually see this uh, around the world where there's a lot of persecution. They don't have the option to have out in public different denominations and hierarchies and institutions and colleges and structures and pastors meetings. And they don't have the liberty to do that where the church is underground. You do see a lot of diversity, but where they just we're all brothers in Christ because we believe these basic doctrines, the rest of it, we don't have the luxury of worrying about that right now because they're under that kind of persecution. We in in the United States have a luxury of being very individualistic and that's a good thing. I I think it's good for us to have those conversations about the areas we disagree on, but it is great to know that, Hey, when it all comes down to it, if, if things get a lot worse in this country, for example, we can, we can unite with people who are different from us on some of those other things. And I think one way to think about it is when we get, when we step into eternity one day, What's the underlying common denominator is not going to be our denominational preference. It's literally, it's going to be about what did you believe about the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, about the deity of Christ and uh, those kind of things. Because at the end of the day, heaven is going to be one ecumenical 
situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God's going to straighten all of us out. That's yeah. the truth. We all like to think that we're going to get there and God's going to straighten everybody else out Yeah, and be like, Clay was right the whole time. You just should have listened to him. No, that's not what's going to happen. He's going to straighten us all out. Um, cause there's things that we all are going to, we're all flawed. We're all imperfect. We're gonna, all going to be wrong on things when we get there. And, uh, it, have you, have you seen that clip? I'm sure you have from Alistair Begg where the guy in the middle cross have you seen that? I have, yes. Oh, man. Uh, if you haven't seen this, go Google Alistair Begg, the man on the middle cross, and you'll get this clip. Uh, I won't spoil it for you, but he basically just says, you know, this guy gets to heaven, the, the, the thief on the cross, he gets to heaven, and the angels are questioning him to determine his reason. He said, how, how, what right do you have to be here? And he says, I don't know. <laughs> and he says, well, what do you know about the doctrine of justification by faith? I don't want to try to imitate Alistair Begg's accent, but it is a wonderful accent. Oh, you should. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he says, uh, justification by faith, never heard of it. <laughs> And he says, and so they go through this, this little question and answer session. And he says, what makes you think you have the right? Essentially, what gives you the, what makes you think you should be here? And the, the thief's answer is the man on the middle cross yeah. said I could come. Um, and which is an amazing way of articulating uh, our acceptance in Christ, not on the basis of ourselves, but on the basis of his finished work. But anyways, all that to say, the last reason we're talking about this is because I bought this book called The Fundamentals, which I hold in my hand. It's a solid 700 plus pages Oh boy, <laughs> that I've not read all of, but I have been uh, working my way through. Uh, it's compiled by and edited by R.A. Torrey, but it was started as 12 volumes essentially um and it's now combined in one book you can find it on amazon i'm holding it in my hand it's a huge book but it's pretty it's a pretty cool uh exploration of the arguments that were being made and these are this was one of the big parts of the history of the fundamentals it be, that's when when i feel like the word became a part of usage, right? It was the publication of that series of books and they were written uh from 1910 to 1915 uh, and they they were called the fundamentals. That was the name of those publications. And mental is part of the word <laughs> because you're mental <laughs> if you don't have a good time with the fundamentals. Yeah. The question is, do you put the fun in fundamentals or do you put the quote, mental in fundamentals? That quote was, uh, that's a quote, Michael Scott, Josh Johnson quote, <laughs> adaptation. <laughs> So uh, uh, W.B. Riley actually is one of the most important fundamentalists in the uh, in the early 20th century. Um, they were the, he says that the that the fundamentals the the volumes I've just talked about were one step in the naming of the movement. Um, but one of the editors of the fundamentals, A.C. Dixon, uh, him and Riley were friends, and they were um, they actually got together and started a into exist. They brought into existence the world's Christian fundamentals association, the WCFA uh, after meeting in 1919. And that became the foremost uh, fundamentalist organization in the 1920s. And I think, you know, if you look at the history, the book called the fundamentals plus that organization sort of mainstreamed the term uh, fundamentals and fundamentalists, uh, or in the 1920s. Um, also a guy named Curtis Lee Laws, who was the editor of the Watchman Examiner. He wrote an article, um, about a bunch of Bible believing Baptists who'd actually convened, uh, to plan how to oppose theological liberalism in the Northern Baptist convention at that time. And Curtis Lee Laws proposed the name, the fund as he, he proposed naming their group, essentially fundamentalists. And he, he had a couple of different options that he was exploring, but he settled on that name as what he thought they should be called. Uh, and he concludes this. I'll just read what he, he said. He said, we suggest that those who still cling to the great fundamentals and who mean to do battle royal for the fundamentals shall be called fundamentalists. Um, so the fundam and then that, that was uh, another formation of another organization called the Fundamentalist Fellowship of the Northern Baptist Convention. Uh, so by 1920, which is roughly 100 years ago now, Mm. just over a hundred years ago, the name fundamentalism was being applied to both non-denominational and denominational organizations, right? That were created for the same purpose though, which was to oppose what's called what we call theological liberalism, uh, 
um, and other evils that are tangential to theological liberalism, like uh, evolution at that time was a big, a big debate. So that's kind of how fundamentalism became a movement. This is where it comes from. This is where the fundamentals, the conversation about the fundamentals come from. Um, a historian by the name of uh, Ernest Sandine, he says uh, that the fundamentalist movement was a self-conscious, structured, long-lived, dynamic entity with recognized leadership, periodicals, and meetings. In other words, it has a structure. It has a, a historical structure. It has a doctrinal stance. It has a time period. It has a cause. It had leaders. It had churches. It had schools. Um, and so that's kind of where historically uh, it started, um, which they believe that the best way they could defend the faith at that time was to, was to oppose theological liberals in the major denominations, which, which had become a major push. So it's important to to say that there was a push for theological liberalism and that the fundamentals and the fundamentalists were a response to that. Clay, take a second for our audience and maybe if you can, in just like a sentence or two, encapsulate what you're, what you're talking about when you're saying theological liberalism. Yeah, that's important. Uh, so theological liberalism is a modern, uh, secular way of viewing knowledge. And it's, it's moved toward the church uh, as the priority for Christians, right? So in, order, in other words, for theological beliefs, it says there are other sources of truth besides just scripture, right? So what we believe in, in, in the fundamental or those who believe the fundamentals believe that our, the source of truth is God through his revealed scripture through, through, through the revealed word of God, the revelation of scripture. And that scripture is what we believe sufficient. This is actually something we'll talk about as part of the fundamentals. So what theological liberalism does, it's, it modernizes Christianity. It attempts to modernize Christianity by saying, oh, there are new methods of biblical interpretation we need to use, right? So previously, the Bible was seen as divinely inspired, and so therefore it's authoritative in theology and in historical context. Um, we, we cite, when we say we believe things, we cite scripture for that, right? Uh, in order to preach it or teach it as doctrine. Liberal scholars, they insist on applying modern... Um, in, uh, interpretational tools, hermeneutical tools to interpret other ancient literature. They, they, so for, for example, the unique events that are witnessed to by scripture, they can be reinterpreted under these modern tools as myths and say, Oh, that was the product of those communities, religious experiences at the time they were written. You know, they were, a, that those things are a product of legends. And so there's things, there's something called lower criticism, Right. Uh, and then there's something called higher critical methods, which 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 use secular reason to evaluate authorship. Uh, they even question the dates of authorship and the dates of composition. They question the historical accuracy of scripture. They question traditional meanings and interpretation. They even go so far as to say that the things literally said in scripture are not authoritative for Christians today. That it's that they've got to be interpreted as in their only in their historical context that we can interpret something different today. So it it just doesn't it doesn't rely on scripture as the sole means of interpreting of forming knowledge and forming an understanding of truth. So in a sense, then the fundamentals would be a return, if you will, to sola scriptura, the scripture alone. Yes. And the sufficiency of scripture. Yeah, it's a pushback. The fundamentals, Maybe not a return to it, but a, a renewed focus upon yeah, it. An, yeah, an emphasis on it because of, what, of what's happened in, our, in, in Christian societies today. It, it, the fact that it invaded Christianity and, and led a lot of people astray is, is the reason why you saw this shift in the early 20th century. Uh, and you, this is why even today people want to know, well, how do I know if my church is theologically liberal or theologically fundamental? What you can do is look at how they talk about uh, about Christian life and Christian belief. If if they focus on doctrine and say that our life flows from our doctrine, then they're probably fundamental, mm -hmm. most likely. If they say, "Oh, doctrine's not as important to be an authentic Christian. It's more important. Um, it, it's more important how who you are as a person." Right? You can be authentic Christianity just means uh, believing in peace and justice. Right. And they, and they say, oh, it doesn't matter what you believe about the Trinity. 
It doesn't matter what you believe about, right, about uh, doctrines, right? Um, typically, whereas fundamentalists say, no, the, the, the doctrine, it's not that the behavior doesn't matter, but the behavior, the baby, of course the behavior matters, but it has to flow from the doctrine. Right. Right. Interpretations of scripture are what really matters. When we disagree, when there's differing opinions and when there's debate, uh, we, we go to the scripture. And you won't see that in churches that are theologically liberal. They just focus on being, you know, as long as you love people, as long as you, they just don't look at scripture the way that, that those who believe the fundamentals do. They don't look at it as authoritative scripture. So when you're asking, when people are talking about fundamentalists or fundamentalism, now I, maybe we should stop here for a second, Josh. <laughs> There's a yeah, modern use make a of the term. For sure. There's a modern use of the term fundamentalist which just means you are um, you believe in absolute truth and you have access to that source of truth and people who don't believe in that source of truth are wrong. That is a broader definition of fundamentalism, which can include people of any religious persuasion so long as they also believe they have a single singular source of truth and that anybody who doesn't agree with that singular source of truth is wrong. Right. And, it, and it, in, in a broader sense, Josh, don't you feel like the word fundamentals or fundamentalist has come to mean anybody who's an extremist? Uh, well, that's exactly what I was about to say. I would say if you, if you modernize the definition based upon what we're seeing today, I think most people would say when you define a fundamentalist, the word they would use is extremist, 100%. But don't you think that in, in today's culture, because of the influence of relative truth, in, in, in the day where we say truth is relative, don't you think a claim of absolute truth is to this generation sort of extreme in itself? Yes, that would be that would also be fair as well. To a lot to a lot of modern social theory, any claim to to absolute truth can be viewed as extreme. Yeah. And so in that sense, okay, you would think I'm a fundamentalist then, because I do believe in the inerrancy of scripture. Which you I mean, and you would probably even say you are. Yes. Yeah, to, to this generation, in that I'm okay. sense of the word. Yeah, if you believe social theory, if you believe in the, in the modern social theories that says all truth is relative, then then I'm okay with you feeling I'm extreme. I'm okay with that because I don't agree with that. I think that's extreme. Now, but there's also another side of that too, and I'm, you know, we try to stay kind of away from a lot of it. But there's also, if I can say, a religious definition of the term, which lends itself to more extreme conservatism and it's not limited strictly to theology and sound doctrine it's it's about lifestyle choices or or things that are not actual fundamentals you're saying yes it's a it's a it's a broader definition that really has no bearing on the greater christian community if we're going to be honest with it, with it like some people would look at us who espouse modern thinking and would say oh you guys are fundamentalists but there are people who claim to be fundamentalists who would look at us and say, you guys are not fundamentalists. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Abs yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I think it's important. Maybe it's important to say here, Josh, that there are <laughs> there's a, there is an intellectually and academically and historically accurate way to use the word. And then there's a convenient way to use it that is more about pigeonholing people yeah. who I think are wrong and different than me. So like, for example, if I were to say, I, I could look at, I'm holding this book in my hand right now, The Fundamentals, that was written between 1910 and 1915. There were Episcopalians, there were Presbyterians, there were Anglicans, there were Baptists, there were Congregationalists, there was a lot of people writing this book, writing these arguments. They were all fundamentalists. So if my definition of fundamentalism is anybody who is more extreme than me and my definition of liberals or anybody who's less, less uh, serious about certain things than I am, then that's a really, really uh, inaccurate definition. If we're going to be honest, you know, you're listening to uh, a podcast where both of us would say, by historical definition, we're both fundamentalists. Right. But we've both had people call us liberals. Yes. Why? Because their definition is not a historical definition. It's a pejorative. They're just using it as a title to smack people with. And so if I, if anybody who does, who, who disagrees with me on something and I happen to be more conservative than them, cause I think fundamentalist has become synonymous with conservatism. A hundred percent. And I think that's why I brought this, this up because and knowing our audience, I think we have to make that distinction because there's immediately today when you say I'm a fundamentalist, I already know what 
I, I guess I could probably even say like 90% of people immediately think, especially those who listen to our podcast. There's baggage with that term. There's a lot of baggage with that term, which I wonder, you know, maybe we should recover the term fundamentalist. Oh, maybe, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody should start a podcast about that. Yeah, let's change our podcast name, Clay. <laughs> let's call ourselves the recovering fundamentalists. <laughs> no one's done that yet. Oh man. We can joke like that. Those guys will never listen to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what you're saying is actually interesting, Josh, because what I do think happened after those early days in the 1920s, I think as early as if you read the history, as early as the thirties, um, you started to see churches after that unifying fundamentalist initial birth you saw them sort of say okay well, let's go now let's go back to our institutions and fight for our denominations and fight for our institutions but in that separation they started developing their own sort of fundamentalist associations within their own organizations and their own churches and their own educational institutions which is fine but then as as they separated you see in the 40s and 50s there's new evangelicals there's neo fundamentalists there's all these little breakdowns that start happening people all start diverging and before you know it they all have a different definition of what a fundamentalist is and because they started splitting on all the issues, uh, especially over one of them was over ecclesiastical separation. That was one of the issues that some fundamentalists says, well, you're not really a, a, a fundamentalist if you're not practicing the degree of ecclesiastical separation that we are. Um, and so and then people started adding in additional fundamentals, basically like, hey, these are the fundamentals. Right. right. You had um, you had uh, eschatology being included in the in the 50s by some groups um for example we're going to talk about the original fundamentals today right uh and we're going to go over those here in just a second but there's five mm -hmm. of them that were the original and if you read the, the book the fundamentals all of them all of these arguments that were made were connected to those five fundamentals but even the wcfa the world christian fundamentalist association had nine <laughs> so very quickly they said, okay, if you want to be part of our group, you have to believe these nine. So, um, so that, that's just, an, just a, a way of showing um, very quickly after the original birth of the movement, the very unifying movement for those who believe these basic doctrines, it very quickly became branched out and people started splitting off. And so that, that's a, a subject for another time yes. is, is what ended up happening after that point. But we want to talk today uh, with the time we have left uh, about now that we've kind of covered the, where it came from in the history. So what are the fundamentals, Josh? Okay. So as Clay just mentioned just a couple of moments ago, there are five fundamentals of the faith that are traditionally held, five basic tenets of the Christian faith. And I'm going to just bust through them really quick, and then we'll go back and talk about each of them individually. You have the inerrancy of the scripture, the virgin birth and deity of Christ, substance, uh, substitutionary atonement, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then uh, number five is sometimes split between two, the authenticity of miracles and or the second coming of Christ. So Clay, let's go ahead and just kind of break these down a little bit. Uh, the first being the inerrancy of scripture. It's the belief that the Bible is literally true. Uh, the And it's it, it's the idea that it is without error and free from contradictions. Uh, and the scripture attests to this itself. Psalm 19 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Proverbs 30 says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Uh, it's the belief that what God said in his word is true, it's accurate, it's pure, and it is also enough. And I think we can throw in the sufficiency of scripture there as well. It's it's also enough. So that's that's a very basic definition of that part of the fundamentals. Yeah, Judge, we talked in our episode on biblical authority. That's the Baptist way of encapsulating this belief. Yes. One of our distinctives is this belief in inerrancy and sufficiency. And that's what the biblical authority episode is about essentially and that is that god's word as you said is sufficient and it's enough we you've heard this phrase probably uh if you're listening you may have heard uh it is our final authority for all matters of faith and practice so inerrancy is huge it, i think all of it flows from that you know we if you accept the bible's testimony of itself and, and i think you start with 
as Christians, we start from the assumption that the Bible is true, not because we just made that up, but because the Bible has shown itself to be true, that prophecy has been fulfilled in ways that are literally miraculous. So what you do is you accept those prophecies and you accept scripture as revelation from God, both because the men who brought them preached that they were revelation from God, but also because the prophecies are true. The things that the Bible states have been true over and over and over again. And so they are, it is revelation from God. And then from that, you accept what it says about itself. And that is that it is pure and that it is true and that it is sufficient. Um, I like a second Timothy three sixteen on this, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, meaning it's God breathed. That's what that word, that word inspiration literally means God breathed. Um, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. It says there that the man of God may be perfect. In other words, that you, a Christian, when it says man of God there, it's not just talking about preachers. It's saying that you can be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. So uh, inerrancy of scripture, very important. Yeah, Clay, I would, I would only add to that this, that we start here with the inerrancy of the scriptures, with the purity of the scriptures, with the uh, fact that the Bible is literally true, it's without error. We start there because if we don't have confidence that the word that we hold in our hand is true, then really even the rest of what the fundamentals are don't matter. They fall apart because they're based on the testimony of scripture. Mm. So we have to start with that because if the Bible's not true, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you believe about the fundamentals because your baseline is wrong. You're, you're off base from the beginning if the Bible's not true, but we believe the Bible is true and without error and free from all contradictions. So that would be the first fundamental. So going back to what we mean by the fundamentals, that means anybody who is believes in the fundamentals they are fundamentalists. <laughs> they believe in the inerrancy of scripture and we can unite with Christians on that basis. Absolutely. On that alone. And that, that will just, by the way, that will distinguish you from a lot of people today who claim to be Christians. That one thing alone. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, then it leads to the second fundamental being the virgin birth and deity of Christ. Fundamentalists believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit and that he was and is the son of God fully human and fully divine. Uh, the Probably one of the greatest mysteries of Christianity is that God was manifest in the flesh. Um, different references that we could look at there in Isaiah seven fourteen. therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Over in Matthew chapter number one in verse number 23, we read, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. If you back it up just a little bit there, in verse 18 of chapter 1 of Matthew, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And then uh, let me hop over here to Luke chapter number 1 as well. To verse 27, it says, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And it just jumped down to verse 34. It says, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing that I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. That Jesus Christ uh, was born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, fully God fully man. That's foundational. You Absolutely. have to believe that. Yeah. I don't, you're not a Christian if you don't believe that a hundred percent. Yeah. That's, and that's, uh, that's why it's right there in the, in these five, in these five basic fundamentals, Josh, just sort of anecdotally as a side and as an aside, there's all these, um, I think apologetics is fun. We've hinted at doing some episodes on that in the future, but there is a really cool uh, thing I heard not too long ago about the, who Jesus was, was Jesus who he said he was. And we're familiar with, you may be familiar with the C.S. Lewis, uh, Lord liar, lunatic dilemma, which yeah, is that trilemma. Of yeah. Christ. Which is right. Which is either he was who he said he was, or he was a liar or he actually, be, or he wasn't a liar because he actually believed that he was, but he wasn't, which makes him crazy. Mm -hmm. So he Lord 
liar, or lunatic, which uh, is an interesting which is an interesting thing, but would a, a lunatic would die for his beliefs, but you'd have to believe he was a lunatic. A liar probably wouldn't die for it. But, or he was who he said he was, and you have to pick one of those three, which is why all the good teacher arguments go right out the window, because they didn't kill him for being a good teacher. No. They didn't kill him for being a, a, a good uh, a good man. They didn't kill him for helping the poor. They well, killed him. Well, and if him. they did, they we would read that. We would know that. Yeah. No, they, they would they, have said, this guy's the best teacher in all of Jerusalem. We don't like it. They, they killed him for what they called blasphemy. Mm-hmm. They said he claims he's God. <laughs> That's a problem. Yep. So he he was if he was just a good man and a good teacher, then you have to combat the fact that he's either a liar or he's a lunatic uh, at the same time. So the the but the one of the uh, somebody I was listening to recently said one of the most instructive things about Jesus and who he how how you know he was who he said he was uh, is Mary at the cross. Here you have her baby, her boy, her son, now a grown man being killed and she's silent. And he said, that's a testament that Mary knew who he was. Hmm. Because if anybody knew Jesus was virgin born, Mary knew it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but her silence at the cross, if he was, if he was, she, she would have been going crazy. She wouldn't have been sitting there crying quietly. She would have said, he's a liar but don't kill him. He's a lunatic, but don't kill him. The silence of Mary at the cross is such a testament to the fact of who, who Jesus really was. She knew, she knew who he was. Mm-hmm. Conceived by the Holy Ghost. It's incredible. It's amazing. Uh, we could say so much more about that, but we want to keep this podcast under three hours long. <laughs> so This is not a Joe Rogan episode. No, it is not. <laughs> I don't think people would listen to us for that long. I doubt it. I can't even listen to Joe Rogan for more than 15 minutes at a time. (laughs) Number three, the third fundamental is the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Uh, Fundamentalists believe that salvation is obtained only through God's grace in human faith in Christ's crucifixion for the sins of mankind. Uh, One of my favorite verses in the entire New Testament is 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's a good one. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Wow. That is so good. If you look at first Peter chapter number two, you can read verse 24. It says this, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Uh, and then Isaiah 53, we're all very familiar with that mm. verse for he was uh, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Uh, it is not this thought that um, God sent Jesus as ransom to the devil. Uh, I, I Have you heard this teaching before? Yeah, non, non-penal substitutionary atonement teaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've heard it. Uh, I can't remember the exact uh, name of that that teaching, but it's not that it's that Christ came completely innocent, sinless, perfect, fully God, fully man, and became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him to take our place and to pay the price that we should have paid so that we could have all of our sins forgiven and have eternal life. Yeah. And Josh, there's, there's denominations today who do not Spouse substitutionary atonement. It's uh, apparently it's actually a really common thing. It's yeah, it's a very uh, hotly debated topic among some, which is surprising to me. I don't know how I don't know how you can read the Bible and understand the wrath of God against sin, and and, and see the substitution of Christ in our place. I mean, it is it is literally Jesus in our place. God's riches at Christ's expense. I mean, that's that's the acronym for grace that people use. Like, how how do you how do you see the biblical narrative and not come away realizing that Jesus Christ took our place? So, so what he was experiencing that day was the wrath of God for our sin. That that is a fundamental teaching, but it's a big. Like, apparently, there's a lot of people who go to church and and are Bible teachers who say, "No, I don't believe in substitutionary atonement." They reject it because they they call penal substitution. The atonement, they call it um, divine child abuse. Which is absurd. Yeah. Because because you're you're rejecting the Trinity at that point. You're saying that it's impossible 
that God in his, and in his, in his God, in the Godhead that includes both the father and the son, that this was his plan and that he sacrificed his son and yet himself. It, it says in Timothy, God was manifest in the flesh. So it was literally God walking on earth and gave his own life. And yet as part of the Trinity, he was the son of God. He came as the son of God. Mm-hmm. And so there, it, 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 it's both. So to, so to, so to try to uh, compare this to a human relationship with your child, whereby you sacrifice your child uh, for your own sin or for somebody else's sin is, is, is ignorant. Mm-hmm. And it, and it tries to overly humanize Bible doctrine in a way that we can understand it. It, it goes too far in attempting to do that. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. But the, the substitutionary atonement is absolutely crucial. Jesus lived the life we should have lived and died the death we deserve to die. So that, because that's, if you don't believe in substitutionary atonement, then do you believe that we are heirs with Christ? Do you believe we have inherited what was rightfully his? Mm-hmm. Because both of those things are go together. Yeah. You can't, you can't divorce the ramifications of the cross from the sacrifice of the cross. That's right. Next is the belief in the, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, that on the third day after his crucifixion, Jesus rose, rose from the grave and now sits at the right hand of God the Father. Uh, I think 1 Corinthians 15, Clay, is one of the greatest uh, passages of Scripture on the topic of the bodily resurrection of Christ, talking about that uh, verse three, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the 12. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. And then he says down here, in verse number uh, 13, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we were found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain and ye are yet in your sins. Uh, And then down here in verse number no, I'll keep reading verse 18. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. And he continues on to talk about Adam and how in Adam we all die, but in Christ we're all made alive. It is, it is crucially important that we believe that Jesus literally bodily rose again. Uh, and ascended to the Father. Yeah, Josh, that was all legend. That was all legend. That just was a product. It was legends of their of their time. It was myths, right? Uh, uh, you know, absolutely. The Bible, you have to understand the Bible in light of modern science. Oh, that's <laughs> right. I forgot about that key part of uh, biblical interpretation. <laughs> Thank you for correcting me. Yeah, we can just dismiss anything we don't want to... Uh, we don't, we can't explain. No, the bodily resurrection of Christ, that, that, this was a big one because that is one of the biggest ones that I feel modern, uh, liberal theologians take issue with. You'll even hear them talk about the resurrection of Christ as an ethos. You'll hear them say, oh yeah, the, the mythology of, and the, and the ethos of, of, of resurrection, it's something we should all embody. Like they talk about it like that. Like, what does that even mean? (laughs) It's essentially using, it's essentially using the story, the, the resurrection narrative, as a way of of it's sort of a meditation practice and a spiritual practice whereby you use the narratives of scripture in order to rebirth. You know, whereas becoming a Christian then is believing in universal truths and how that transforms your life. So resurrection is a is a metaphor mm. for I guess turning over a new leaf. Sounds like it. Or whatever, which is just which is just humanistic garbage. It's a hot pile of humanistic garbage, and it and it, and it basically makes Paul a liar in First Corinthians fifteen. You have to dismiss all of First Corinthians fifteen and other passages. That's that's not the only one, but that's a really yeah, big all one. All the apostles, all of church history. Right. He. Yeah. We have to just dismiss all of that. Oh, is it surprising, Josh, when you hear stuff like that? When you hear arguments like that, is it surprising then when they say, "Oh, what the Bible says about"? 
sexual ethics, you have to, you have to take that with a grain of salt. Is it really surprising that mm-hmm. they say, Oh, just ignore those passages because, uh, because you know, they didn't have, uh, the kind of, th- they didn't have the kind of advances in, and that we had to do today. They did not, they were a lot more ancient. You just can't, you have to interpret it in light of historical context. It's not surprising that those are the conclusions they come to when they say things like this, when they look at first Corinthians 15 and, uh, and they still don't believe in a physical resurrection mm. of Jesus. Mm. What a mess. Which kind of leads us to the next one. Yeah, the the final one uh, being that of belief in the authenticity of miracles. And then, like I said earlier, it's also been split between that and the second coming of Christ, that Jesus's miracles were authentically real and genuine as recorded in scripture and um, a belief in the, a literal second coming of Christ to the earth. The authenticity of miracles is simply stated as the belief that what you read in the gospels of what Christ did and his miracles is literally and factually true that they uh, are not just fancy stories and, and cheerful, cheerful anecdotes. They are legitimate actual miracles performed by the divine son of God on the earth and that they legitimately happened that miracles are real and that they were performed by Christ and that Christ is literally coming to the earth someday in his second coming. Those are the five core fundamentals of the faith. Once again, they're the inerrancy of scripture, the virgin birth and deity of Christ, the substitutionary atonement, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ and the authenticity of miracles in the second coming of Christ. Those five Five truths, five beliefs are the baseline, as we said earlier, the, the, the foundation of Orthodox Christianity. If you don't get these right, you don't qualify as Orthodox in your belief. Josh, would you, would you agree with me? I'm, as I look at these fundamentals and I, I see that these specific fundamentals are a direct response to theological liberalism. But because they're a response to theological liberalism, this is not an attempt to say that these are the only fundamental doctrines. Because there are there are fundamental doctrines about salvation that aren't encaptured that aren't necessarily talked right. about here, for example. Right. Like yeah. justification by faith is a fundamental doctrine. Correct. But they're not listed in these five fundamentals because they were that wasn't being disputed by the liberal theologians. Right. They weren't disputing justification by faith. They were just disputing other elements. And so these these fundamentals, these five were a way to unify the those who believed in the inerrancy of Scripture and the the actual miracles, the actual virgin birth of Christ, the bodily resurrection, substitute. It was a way to unify those people, uh, over and above whatever differences, other differences they had, to say, yeah, there's a difference between this. This is Orthodox Christianity. If you're if you're if you're being swayed by the liberal theologians who say you don't have to believe this stuff, then we can't fellowship. We can't do ministry together. What you're teaching is not is, is false doctrine. Um, so you're not you're not a Christian. So, Clay, we would say then that these five fundamentals are what we would call primary doctrines. Primary doctrines, yeah. You, these are these are first tier uh, of of these are five of, of first the, importance. Yeah, these are these are five doctrines that are of first importance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you we can't we can't disagree on this and go to church together. We can't disagree on this and and fellowship together for the gospel. We can't. So then, that means there have to be things that are not of first importance that are not first tier issues. Those, the, the original fundamentalists would agree with that statement that there are things that are not first importance. It doesn't mean they're of no importance, but they are not of first importance. Um, and certainly, uh, there's scripture to point to this as well. Uh, Hebrews chapter six, he says, therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection. So there's other things beyond the basic doctrine that you can get to. Uh, and he talks about the doctrine of baptisms, the doctrine of laying on hands, the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. So he's saying there, there's, once you, once you get the basic things, there are additional things to learn. There are additional things to know. There are additional things to do. But so once you, for example, in this passage, he mentions resurrection of the dead here. So in other words, if you, once you understand that Jesus rose from the dead, now we can talk about eschatology Mm -hmm. now we can talk about the fact that we will be raised from the dead 
right? Once you, if you understand the resurrection of Christ and the second coming, now we can talk about how the fact that we're all going to be raised from the dead. So, um, so anyways, all that to say, that's a scriptural passage. Hebrews chapter six points to this, that there are some things that are basic foundational, fundamental, first importance. And then there are some things that you learn, that you study over time, that you have to kind of come to conclusions later about that are not the first doctrines. And it, just because something is not of first importance does not mean it's not important. Right. It's not hero or zero. <laughs> yeah. They're still important things, but where they rank on a tiered list, because that's the way it has been traditionally viewed is on a tiered list. Uh, it just shows where they are as far as how we look at these beliefs in our relationship with our brothers and sisters. Well, our first tier issues, they are things that unite us because of our faith. Our second tier issues, they do, they, there's no other way to say it. They do divide us in ways from our brothers and sisters, but not in a negative connotation. It helps us see who we are going to spend most of our time with and, and, and people who believe certain things like what we believe. It, it'll impact, you know, where we go to church. All of that to say, that's where we would like to take this for our very next episode. Before we talk about that, Josh, could I just say this, that I truly believe that once you know what first importance is, once you first know what primary doctrines are, you should allow the unity over the primary doctrines to far, far, far outweigh any division over secondary things. Yeah, it should, it should foster grace it, it, right, in your it should, heart. It, right, it should, it should really bring us together as much as possible, and Paul says, as much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. Why in the world could we not say, hey, this person believes the gospel. This person believes in the person and work of Christ, the character of God, the, the sufficiency of scripture, the res bodily resurrection of Christ. Hey, you know what? We may disagree on a lot of other things, but we're going to be in heaven together. Mm -hmm. If we're going to get along there, let's get some practice in now. Yeah. Right. I don't have to agree with you on everything and we may not go to church together. We might not do much in ministry together, but I can love you as a brother. I think that's fair. And I, I really do believe Galatians 2 is what that was. That's what that was about. Was Peter said, was Paul saying to Peter, hey, when you make your division over non-primary things more important, it was fine that Peter liked people being circumcised. That's okay. but to but to make something that wasn't of primary importance treat it like it's to divide over that over and above the unity in the gospel um was was that itself sort of becomes a primary issue mm -hmm. because you're you're not uniting on the things that should unite um and so that's a that's a very important thing the last thing i wanted to say about this and i'm interested in your your thought on this there are people who won't call themselves fundamentalists right who wouldn't wear the brand of fundamentalism, but they believe everything we've talked about this morning. The brand or the name? They wouldn't wear the name. Okay. I think that's an the, important distinction. Well, they wouldn't wear the name because of the brand. Exactly. Right. So they're, they're, they're worried about the baggage and what they understand as fundamentalism or fundamentalists. There's things that they don't like about it, not because of the fundamentals, but because of some of the things we've talked about that we're, maybe we will explore later that have happened in the history of fundamentalism mm -hmm. since the 1920s and maybe they have qualms about the way that that's looked. And so they don't like the, they don't, they don't identify as that. They don't, they've separated themselves from the name. The, the important thing is what they believe, right? That really, uh, that song that became sort of famous. We believe in God, the father, we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the resurrection. He's given us new life. I'm, I think I'm misquoting the lyrics to that song. But why was that? That song, I love that song. Yeah. Because it is going back to the basics and it's saying, we, this is what we believe in. And we believe in he's coming back, he's coming back again, right? Those, those basic things is a way to unify with other believers. And so it's, it matters what you believe. It doesn't, the labels are helpful, but the labels are not all there is. We believe in the fundamentals. We've talked a lot this morning about fundamentalists and fundamentalism. Uh, especially historically, not really recently. We've talked about the history. But the important thing is not the label. The important thing is what you believe. And so we, you know, we, we absolutely unequivocally, unapologetically hold to the fundamentals of the faith. And, and we think you should too. And yeah. if you're listening to this podcast, you probably do. Yeah, more than likely. <laughs> but this is setting up uh, a, a couple of weeks. Yeah. A couple of episodes on 
doctrines of first importance versus doctrines of not first importance, but maybe still important, but not of first importance, which gets to what we're, what's coming up soon. Yeah. So we have coming up on our next episode, we're going to dive into this topic of theological triage. Honestly, in my upbringing, it wasn't something really discussed. Uh, I've been, I've had my interest peak towards it after reading uh, Gavin Ortland's book, Finding the Right Hills to Die On. I would highly recommend you read that book as he really dives into this issue and does a, a fantastic job with it. But the, the idea of the theological triage being that of what we've just been saying here at the end, that there are things of first importance and things that are secondary and tertiary. I was thinking about this yesterday, Clay, and I, I want to throw this out there for kind of an illustration of theological triage. Triage is a medical term. Right. And it's used largely in trauma situations when uh, a paramedic and emergency service worker shows up on the scene of a trauma and there's in this particular case just to keep it simple there's three people standing there at the edge of this trauma where the service worker shows up and there there's one with a bruised hand and one with a a black eye and the other who's just hemorrhaging like crazy Mm -hmm. and triage helps that worker know okay i need to see each of these people but in this case where there's this these this traumatic situation at hand there's injuries everywhere i need to find the person who needs my help the most and i was thinking about this yesterday i think three theological triage is almost exactly the same sure in that especially in today's age we're dealing with broader evangelicalism really it has been it is a mess <laughs> <laughs> and there's been a lot of injuries sustained to the mm. character and reputation of the church the church because of it and i think i think this is coming up when it is not saying no one's ever talked about it in the past but i think it's coming up when it is because younger ministers and and even older ministers who are maybe a little more balanced are walking into the scene seeing, oh my goodness, this is a mess. How do I deal with this? What do I do? And seeing, okay, I have to address these issues first. And then categorizing from there to know what deserves the most amount of time. Well, and, and wouldn't you agree that because of the because of the carnage, to continue the metaphor, because of the carnage we see around us in, in Christian circles, the temptation is to be in the information age because it's all being thrown at you at once. And there's this outrage machine that's constantly going yeah. on. The temptation is just to be reactionary. So as a medical professional, you'll even see in these major, these major um, crime scenes or major scenes of carnage where there's been a tragedy, you'll even see medical professionals tagging mm -hmm. with colored tags so that as new medical professionals arrive, they know how to prioritize resources. Uh, that's going to be crucial for ministers too, as we do this in a theological and a doctrinal context. We have to be equipped so that when we, uh, as we approach things, there's this demand to be reactionary, for you to just constantly respond to the outrage of the day. Where what we really need to do is, as you're saying, have a have a a good theological framework to say, let's start with the most important things. When there's something more important. You know, you go to the emergency room with a broken finger, you might wait a while. Yeah. You might be there for hours. Why? Because there are people coming in with much more serious injuries. And so that's the same thing. Hey, it's not that they don't, it's not that these other things don't matter. Nobody's saying the broken hand doesn't need to be repaired. It's just that there are things more important. And so this idea that, uh, that everything in Christianity is of equal importance is, is a ridiculous assertion. Mm -hmm. Like you said, I don't, I've not heard this talked about very much at all. And I think the temptation is as we get older and mature in our Christian faith, we get more and more set in our ways and it becomes obvious to us that everything should be the way we do it. That it's obvious to me that the way I do this is the only way to do it and that God blesses it more and that it works better and all these other things. But we start to, everything starts to get elevated to the point where it's this way or no way. And that's not, first of all, that's not historic fundamentalism. Mm -hmm. Historic fundamentalism did not do that. It isolated the few things we couldn't compromise on so that there'd be unity on those things. But it's also not very practical, and it's also gonna gonna. I think it's gonna lead to a lot of damage in this in this age. So, man, what an encouragement and what a what an admonishment to 
people in ministry today to focus on, the, to, to major on the majors. Yeah. Not forget the minors, but major on the majors. Exactly. Because like we said earlier, everything in the scripture is important, but not everything ends up being a first importance. Right. And that's exactly what we want to talk about uh, on our next episode about theological triage. And then in a couple episodes, we will be uh, sitting down to discuss the history of fundamentalism and kind of where it all came from and, and, and the direction it went and where we are now, where we are today. So I think you'll really enjoy that. Uh, that's coming up in just a couple episodes. Also, we just wanted to say, if you're a new listener, we thank you so much for listening to us. Absolutely. I know that uh, our listeners are, are the reason we do this. Your encouragement, your feedback uh, reminds us of why we do this on a regular basis. The Q&A episode kind of took off and, and did really well. Um, so if you're new to the podcast, man, thank you so much for, for jumping on board with us. We encourage you to go back and listen to any of our older episodes if you're interested in any of those topics. Um, and 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 we, we, we hope you'll check us out on our website and on our social media pages. We got Twitter. We got Instagram. Both of those have the same uh, tag. It's at Young Baptist Pod. Our Facebook page is The Young Baptist Podcast. Our, our website is theyoungbaptistpodcast.com. We have an email address, theyoungbaptistpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you if you have any questions, any suggestions. Uh, but in any case, we're glad to have you on board. And if you'd like to support what we're doing here, we have a swag store, if you will, through Teespring. You can go on there and buy a Young Baptist Podcast t-shirt or um, we have a, a ceramic coffee mug with our logo on it. We also have a... a stainless tumbler that we made actually someone who one of our church members here cheryl carr if you're listening cheryl thank you for purchasing a what's tumbler. up cheryl uh she brought it to church the other day and showed it to me it's turned out really nice super sharp that's so, awesome uh, if that's something you'd be interested in you can go there and we're working on some other stuff right now to maybe give you different opportunities for you to support the podcast if you're not into that whole merch game but uh, we're working on all that. And we, once again, we're just so thankful that you're here checking out this podcast and being a part of the Young Baptist podcast family. We really appreciate it. Well, Clay, what do you think, man? I think after doing an episode on the fundamentals, I want a Fundy Award. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Young Baptist podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Young Baptist Pod. And check out our website at theyoungbaptistpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a review wherever you consume the content. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time on the Young Baptist Podcast.